Hey everyone, thanks for clicking onto the video. Before we start things, I just want to say that we are currently on the road to 500 subscribers. So, in celebration of that, I'm going to be doing a free giveaway of one copy of WWE Battlegrounds on a console of your choice, rather be a PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch or Xbox One. And all you have to do to enter it is simply click that subscribe button, tap the bell icon, and once we hit that magic number of 500 subscribers, I'll be doing the video to announce the winner. So, thanks for listening and please enjoy the video. Welcome to that 90 Slim podcast. Today's special guest, what can I say? He's a veteran of professional wrestling. He's a former NWA tag team champ, WWE tag team champ, WCW hardcore champion, Ring of Honor tag team, six man tag, and a Ring of Honor world champion. He is PCO. How you doing? I'm fine. What about you? How, how's, how's your uh, confinement or your lockdown or? How was it going? Crazy, yeah. I speak yeah. to a lot of guys from uh, Montreal and Canada, and they they all ask me how is it over in the UK, and it's it's not too bad. Like back in April, we was in lockdown for like three months, yeah. and uh, I'm a builder, so my job really is quite safe because I'm outside. Only problem was all like the building merchants were closed, so I couldn't go to work. Um, so I was like sort of my hands for like three months, but this time during our second lockdown, they had the common sense to like let the uh, building yeah. merchants stay open. Besides yeah. that, uh, we've just come out of our second lockdown, so it's not going too bad, but um, we've just come up with a vaccine, so fingers crossed it's going to be improving a lot. Yeah, How's yeah. it on your side? Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty tough back home in Canada. Yeah. Um, but right now I'm in a bubble in the States, you know, for the getting ready for final battles. So we got to spend a few days and we get tested a few times. So it's, uh, you know, things, I think it's a good time to, uh, to, so, you know, to do things. So when we get back to normal, we have sowed something so we can reap something, you know, eventually. So I think it's the perfect time to prepare a lot of stuff, you know, and uh, just to get ready for when everything's going to explode, I think. Because, you know, after a year of people staying home, I think uh, life will be pretty wild when it goes back to some sort of yeah. normal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've, I've been busy. I've been, I've been busy because I've been, you know, I've been working on different projects and I've been like really uh, uh, disciplined and, uh, I've, you know, just uh, working hard on my craft as usual and working hard uh, in the gym and, and different other aspects, uh, you know, uh, writing things down and, and things like that, you know, things that I, I think uh, makes makes me evolve as a pro wrestler, as an athlete, and as a person. Yeah, your evolution in wrestling, I mean, we'll get to it later on, but it's quite astounding. Like, I remember the day where you announced your retirement, and I was like, oh, um, he's retired. And then a few years later, you came back a completely different animal. So we'll definitely get to that later on. But um, I suppose we'll start things off at the beginning, uh, your childhood. So, um, so uh, I suppose we'll go back to your childhood. And was you a fan of wrestling as a child, or was it something you found later on in life? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was a big fan when I was a when I was a kid. You know, I uh, I asked my my dad to to go to many events, and uh, uh, I think the first or probably the first live event that I went on. I knew that's what I wanted to become yeah. or to be, and um, it's uh, and then I went to many more events and uh, WrestleMania one was a big, uh, you know, it's like almost that day that I decided that I was gonna go and take some wrestling lessons and uh, go to a wrestling school and and then that I really decided that I was gonna be a pro wrestler. 
And so uh, that, that's yeah, because my childhood was like kind of tough because uh, you know hockey is big in Canada, and I had been skating since I was like two years old. So I was as a good hockey player, but I got shot with a pellet gun in my right eye. Right. So I became I became blind on that side, and um, it was uh, at the time. No one had ever played in the NHL with one eye. That, that had been changed because uh, Carl Soderberg uh, played yeah. for the Avalanche with one eye. But it was not possible at that time. You needed at least at least 70% vision on both either both eyes, you know, like from each eye. So uh, this is, was just a change of plan. But I liked both sports were like my favorite for, favorite sport so it was not like a big uh heartbreaking you know it was hard to lose an eye but to change sports i mean that didn't that didn't change much you know i, I liked both as as much yeah. not long after your training i think it was only two or three years if that and you was pretty much straight in wwe so how did that come about? You getting signed to WWE? No, I I started my wrestling school at 16 years old, so it took me eight years to join the ranks of WWE, right. and right. Uh, it was a long, uh, it was a long time. It was a some some very depressive times, a very tough time. I I went to uh, Calgary for the Hearts, where they didn't want to use me, so I stayed there for three or four months, uh, just going back to the arena every Friday night and trying to get a, you know, at least a match or something. So I always had, always had my, my carry my bag, with my wrestling bag with me. Then I went, uh, I did a lot of indies uh, that weren't, that we weren't paid much money for it. And, and no. then I went to, uh, to England. Uh, to, I, I went to, uh, the Maritimes also in Canada for Rene Dupre's dad, Emil Dupre. Uh, and uh, I wasn't really ready, so I was put on top there at the beginning of my career at 20 years old. Uh, not ready for a push like that, so I uh, got fired. Uh, a lot of uh, setbacks and a lot of uh, adversity, very young in the business. And then uh, eventually uh, had a big breakthrough in Germany for Auto Vans and CWA. And that led me to go to uh, Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon, where I was really wanted. They really wanted me there to work on top. And then I met uh, with Jacques Rougeau, and then uh, he needed a tag partner because his brother Ray just had just retired. That's right. As a, mil- as, as a uh, multimillionaire. Because you know he, he saved his money, bought a lot of houses, was smart yeah. with with the money yeah. he made, and uh, that's how my uh, first big break came through. Eight years after I broke into the business, I became uh, three times uh, WWE World Tag right. Champion as, as a Quebecers. Oh. And uh, funny enough, I was speaking. Uh, Carlos Colon's uh, nephew, uh, Epico, Orlando Colon, uh, a few months ago, um, yeah. told me about the Puerto Rican scene, and he said, if you're a hero over there, he said, you're like a dead man walking, because the fans are so violent over there, so what was your yeah. experience in Puerto Rico, and is it as wild yeah. as we all hear? Yeah, very wild. I was a uh... Not traumatized because it takes a lot to traumatize <laughs> someone who's 22 years old or 23 years old. But I wasn't at Denny's one time. I was a hold up, you know, like uh, with guns and everything. And they took watches and money wow. from everybody and uh, the, the whole cash registered. And and uh, it was a pretty scary scene. And they were shooting uh, everywhere. And I saw uh, a doorman got shot. I saw a a car got like, uh, you know, maybe eight or ten uh, bullets shot at it. You know, I've uh, I've seen so many things in Puerto Rico. I mean, it's pretty bad. Uh, and uh, but I was, you know, on a uh, apartment by the beach and Isla Verde, which was a good thing about it. That, like you work four days a week over there and you got three days off. So uh, 
got nice gyms and uh you got a nice beach so and jet skiing and things like that but uh it costs money it's for tourists so we don't make money there you know like uh there's nobody to there was nobody to be made it was just a, a good place to get seen or you know to to add on the uh, uh on the resume you know and good experience because working yeah. with carlos Colon, working with invader working with um, mr Hughes came through uh jacques came through um they were they were bringing a lot of talents you know former wwe or and not not always guys that were their careers was still like going pretty well maybe they were on break like Jacques for instance he was on a a year off because uh his wife had just uh had the last children so he wanted to be at home so he was taking indie bookings so those guys like that are guys on the way up they're very talented so um it was a great experience. I stayed there for maybe six months the first time, and I went back in 2005, and I stayed there for almost a year. Right. Cool. I've, seen, I've, I've seen many, many talents from Canada, from so many places that really wanted to make it in the business, and then I never heard of them after that. And some yeah. of them uh, just stayed on the island. They got married, and then they're living there now. So <laughs> cool. it's uh, just... Uh, yeah, I've seen so many stories in wrestling. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned uh, Shaku helped bring you along to uh, WWE and uh, they paired you up as the Quebecers. And uh, the first thing I have to say, uh, the, th- the theme song, <laughs> that is such a beloved theme song from the fans. We are the Mounties. Well, we're not yeah. the Mounties. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we're not but... the Mounties. We're handsome, we're brave, we're strong. We're yeah. not the Mounties because we enforce the law. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and 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 we did some uh, singing in French at the end of the song where, basically, Jim Johnson just said, "Just go with what you want." You know, we'll just add it. You know, it's a, it wasn't scripted. You know, we we add a little bit a lot at the end of the song in French, which was a uh, a song where you know, really you could tell that we couldn't sing, so it was annoying. <laughs> On you know, on top of being like a a song that really stresses you out, you know, it was annoying by our voices and things like that. I I just thought that was pretty pretty good for that type of character where oh, you know it's 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 obviously you know a character that it's uh, it's everything that uh, that that's it's all about being a heel being hated by the people, you know, uh, cheating, uh, uh, I mean, being scared, uh, you know, being a chicken shit, or, <laughs> or using every tick, every tricks in the bags to, to get yeah. ahead. And, and yeah, so that was that type of character, you know, not, not yeah. the, not what I envisioned as, as, a, as growing up into the business, you know, I was more a fan of a, King Tonga or the Road Warriors or those strong characters. So, but you know, it was an opportunity, and and, and I was happy with it. You know, so it's oh. it's, it's good. Yeah, you just ran with it. And uh, you're speaking about heel heat, and uh, the Mountie gimmick had a lot of heat in uh, Canada. They was not happy with that character. <laughs> yeah, that's why we had the change for Quebecers because uh, right. the the. Yeah, the Royal Mounted, Mounted Police, like they, uh, they they said it was bad for their images, so uh, they ruled uh, a lawsuit on uh, the WWE and Vince McMahon, and uh, so we had to, that's why we, we reversed the song just as a jab to them, you know, we're not yeah. the Mounties, we're <laughs> enforce the law, so yeah, so we did it, but the other way around. Yeah, and uh, you just got paired up with... Uh... Johnny Polo, which a lot of people now know him as Raven. So, what was it like being paired up with Raven, and what was he like uh, behind the scenes? Uh, he was a he was a good guy. I mean, uh, we didn't travel with him, or he was not traveling with us. Uh, we uh, Jacques was really 
well, pr protective in a way, protective maybe of the gimmick itself. Like didn't want no one to uh, maybe uh, if we travel together, uh, getting drunk or, you know, doing something that would ruin the name or something like that. I don't know what was the reason behind it, but uh, he never traveled with us. So we would only... Uh, see each other you know at the arenas or for promos and, and things like that and um it was always great to me it was always nice uh it, it was easy to get along like it, was, it seems for the time that i've seen him which is almost two years you know but just here and there not not like not knowing him on on a personal personal basis but just uh on the professional, uh, you know, professional professional side of him, it yeah. was easy to get along. Uh, it would, you know, because uh, he was always there. Uh, he was always given his hundred uh, percent. Only have good things to say about him personally. Awesome. I never did anything wrong. I I never had any issues with him yeah. whatsoever on anything. So yeah, it's awesome. Cool. And you've uh, found success pretty quickly, defeating the uh, Steiner brothers for your first reign as tag team champions. So uh, what was it like when you were told that, right, we're going to give you the belt and give you a run? So you must have been pretty happy when you, you heard that. Yeah, yeah, that was really uh, something else. I was really nervous, really happy. Uh, uh, it was a huge moment. You know, it was a little deception uh, to win it on the Quebec rules. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. It, it, maybe it shouldn't have been, you know. But it's just that you have to take in consideration that's my first year with WWE, okay. and Jacques's been there for a long time. So Jacques knows Vince more than he knows me, you know, more than I know him, and uh, his ways of looking at things are are way different than than my view because. We don't have the same perceptions. We don't have the same time spent in the business over there. So, uh, but, but we were both happy because I remember we came back at the hotel and uh, we were talking about the match for the whole night. So adrenaline, I know, was so high up that we couldn't sleep. So we just kept talking and talking. And we were tired the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and one of your uh, big matches you had was that um, the Royal Rumble of '94, and uh, the two years faced off with uh, Brett and Owen Hart for the tag titles, and that obviously led to their feud. So, what was it like working Brett and Owen in one of the very few tag matches in WWE? Yeah, great souvenir. Uh, not knowing what was going to follow up after that, you know, uh, looking back. You know, it's like uh, having the chance to share a ring with both, you know, Brett and Owen. That's uh, very special. And uh, always got along good with uh, with Owen and uh, and with Brett as well. Because, you know, with my feud with Brett after that, you know, lasted like uh, four or five months, three, three to five months. So uh, had to know Brett more on a personally but uh owen like we crisscross sometimes like he was for cwa in germany and i was there for a little while or we would meet at the tv tapings in france and uh so uh, and when i went to to calgary when i was really young owen was a big star there so uh i was looking up to him and, uh, and chris benoit over there and uh brett had already left for wwf uh with the Enzo, so uh, yeah, uh, I always uh, felt like uh, me and Owen were uh, pretty, pretty tight. You know, as uh, not that we would call each other all the time, but you know, we sit down, have you know, long talks, and uh, and uh, just just got along good with him. So uh, it was uh, it was pretty tough. Uh, when we heard about his loss, so yeah, cool. And um, you've uh, 
you've had three reigns and it was normally a case like especially with your next one like men on the mission you lost them on the uk tour but quickly uh won them back uh all the wrestlers always say they really enjoy going over to the uk and they always seem to have a fun time so uh was that like it for yourself and also any fun uk stories while touring over here uh there's a plenty of good stories i mean it's just uh it's just uh and then germany was even like uh even more fun because yeah because uh I've been in the UK. I knew the UK for 91, 92, because I worked for Brian Dixon before. So oh, yeah. sometimes they were doing, sometimes business was so good when I was there as Double Trouble uh, with Brick Crawford. Like sometimes we're doing leads, you know, with, with main event against the Liverpool lads. And then we're doing like 2,500 people, you know, like. And then WWE, they're doing like 8,000, 10,000. So we, we were, we were doing good houses, uh, but when I came back later with uh, WWE, it's just that uh, the fans are so into it, and uh, it, it's just the how can I say that they you know the followings, a, a car followings us on a bus. Uh, hotels being packed you know you, you're not used to that in the states you know you, you choose your hotel you go there there's basically you know 10 or 20 fans you know it's not crazy but whatever it was a uk tour or a german tour you know a germany or tour like that that was like super crazy for two weeks you know it's like uh fans all over the place uh Fans at the bar, at the hotel bar, fans like you, you, you basically try to go to your room and yeah, you're, you're, you're like there's literally like fifty people in the on every <laughs> floor. Like if you're on the fourth floor, like you, 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 you come across like so many people that it's it's just a crazy jungle. Like jungle is like. Uh, I can understand. I remember at one WrestleMania was in Boston. It was crazy. It was hard to get out of the building without, you know, like having uh, tons of fans on us. But uh, but Germany and the UK was like that. Like we, you have like uh, a bunch of cars just following our bus and going from yeah. town to town. It was like uh, just amazing the support was just amazing you know and it's it's cool for you know at one point sometimes you want like to be at peace you know you want you want your own place and your space but uh yeah. to see that support like that's pretty uh unbelievable you know it was that, that was i think that's what we like those tours so much because we weren't we weren't making that as much money as we did in the States because, That's you know, it, yeah. was a, it was a second hand and things like that and uh, a lot yeah. of things in between. But it was so much fun. Everybody wanted to be on those tours. Cool. And uh, next guy would talk about, it's, it, it appears that he's finally retired, uh, The Undertaker. Um, what was your dealings with The Undertaker? Did you have much interaction with him? And obviously... The Undertaker is famous for being the judge of wrestlers' court. So, did you ever see any wrestlers' court yourself? I've wrestled him once, uh, uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, and he had like a, it was good, like to to wrestle him. And he, it was cool, you know, just the way we call the match and everything. Uh, very receptive. Uh, uh, I, I did a I did a lot of interviews on on his retirement match because uh, a lot of guys were were calling me and asking me about him and uh, it goes back to he never acted uh, like the prima donna never act like he was too big for this business he was always like uh, humble uh, and his great success uh, very accessible. It, but it could be scary for people sometimes they weren't sure if they if he was accessible or not but he he was always and 
and uh, I don't think it was. I never seen any hate, any wrestlers being jealous of him or uh, being uh, angry against you know for anything. Like he had like a, the way that he was like the perfect leader. I mean, he, uh, he had everybody, all different cliques would get along good yeah. with him. So I never saw him on any sides, but uh, he was neutral and he was good with everybody and everybody was good with him. It sounds cliche to say something so like uh, perfect like that, but to my eyes, whether at the time, because sometimes it could be a matter of perception. You know, I could have been younger and I could have said, no, the, the, these guys didn't like him, but I've seen him on different stages of my my career, my life, and uh, it seems to be always like uh, having the sort of same qualities. So uh, we'd always be in character, so to speak, you know, all the way dressed up in black with the sunglasses or the hat or the bandana and uh, uh, wouldn't be loud in the dressing room, not trying to get any attention for for no specific reasons other than just being over in the ring. So basically, uh, just I had like, I could go up to him and ask him anything at any time, and uh, I was always welcome. So it's, uh, it's just been a, a great influence uh, in my career. Cool. Some something something some somebody to that you can you know model some of the your act that you should you know should have as a pro wrestler. You know? so, so there's a lot of things to learn just by watching him, watching him. Cool. And uh, that year in '94, you wrestled your first WrestleMania at WrestleMania 10 against Men on the Mission, and uh, you retained the titles by DQ. Um, but one of the guys. He was promised to run with the top belt was Lex Luger, and it never went for him. And uh, what was Lex Luger behind the scenes? Obviously, since then, like he's had a few hardships, and he's getting his life back together now. And he says now he's in a better place than he has been for a long time. But back in '94, what was he like behind the scenes? Yeah, it was he uh, was not like Daker, you know. He was a little bit. Uh, <laughs> How can I say, uh, you know, thinking that he was in a, from my perception, you know, like, he uh, was not a bad guy. I never saw him, like, do ribs or, you know, he, he was not out of place, but just the way that he was handling himself, uh, he was act, acting a little bit like he was, you know, on top of his game and, and, yeah, and, uh, like a little bit of the narcissistic one, but uh, on a <laughs> moderate moderate uh, template maybe. But uh, he was like, uh, you know, he was walking uh, his head up, and uh, you know, like he was on top of the world. I guess I don't know. A little bit of an attitude, but yeah. you know, at least you know, I've, I've I've wrestled him, and he was cool to wrestle with. Uh, and uh, then I have the, the attitude, though, you know, when it was time to put a match together, that, that's, that was not that, that type of attitude. It was not like uh, someone that you couldn't talk to, rather he was just like uh, looking like he was a little bit superior than the rest of, uh, of the boys. It's <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> just a bit. Cool. And uh, eventually he's... Um... Lost the tag titles to the head shrinkers, and then you and Shaq had the blow up feud, and you wrestled like back then. It was the last match, main event, Montreal sold out crowd. So, what was it like going back to Montreal sold out crowd wrestling your former tag team partner at the oh, time? Uh, that, that, that was uh, I've, I've got like maybe ten of the greatest souvenir, but the, 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 this is one of them, you know, because. Uh, Working on top of uh, such a huge company back then, you know, like you had The Undertaker, Yokozuna, uh, Razor Ramon, uh, Kevin Nash. Uh, the tag team division was so strong. Uh, Jeff Jarrett also was there. 
who else? Uh, the whole roster was on the card. Jim Neidhart, uh, Hohen Hart, uh, like I said, Yoko, Head Drinkers, Smoking Guns, uh, Adam Bomb. Uh, there's so much talent. And just to be uh, main eventing such a talented dressing room, you know, for a sold-out uh, 18,500 people uh, in the building at the Montreal uh, Forum and, and, and stealing the show uh, for so many... The match was good. Uh, the crowd was so into it. I mean, it's, it was very magical, you know, like just one punch and then you'd hear the whole... <laughs> So the whole comeback, the whole, everything we, we, we had done that night was like just, uh, just crazy. As, as, as much as the first match that we had there, the form against the Steiner brothers, was just almost the same feeling, but just this time was a single match. And it was, it was like, uh, you know, it meant a lot to me. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's when I proved, you know, to... Vince McMahon and then and everybody uh, around him that were there live on end that uh, I could handle myself, you know, uh, and being a, a main event guy for for them. So it was uh, it was a great opportunity, and I, I fully I took advantage of it too. So I, yep. I delivered. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the Montreal fans remind me of the UK fans because they're um, so passionate about wrestling. And whenever I, whichever promotion has a show at the in Montreal, I always look forward to it because their fans are <laughs> rabid. They just love it. And yeah. it's a shout, it's a shout out to two of my uh, podcast friends, uh, Jofo in the ring, because both of them are from Montreal and they know I love them. So shout out to them. Uh, um, yeah. But, but they can uh, they can I be suppose... cruel, they can be cruel <laughs> too. I think because what what they are the way that the fans are in Montreal, and I'm talking about every sports, not just wrestling. They want to win, and if you're winning, you're on good. the good <laughs> side. But as soon as you're losing, you can be a zero. <laughs> so they're a tough. They're they're tough. They're they're good, yeah. but they're tough. You know, for their team for. For for the Montreal Canadiens, for the soccer team, for the Alouettes. I mean, they're, they're just a rough crowd. They they just want to win. They've, they've they've been used to so many championships, like twenty five championships, and they 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 used to they want to win. You know, they they like you if you win. <laughs> so uh, the, eventually, you was given your singles run there, Jean Pierre Lafitte. So. Uh... Where did the gimmick come from? I remember watching it, and we'll get to the match with Brett in a minute, but it was such a departure from, obviously, you being one of the Quebecers. So how did it come about? I would just to turn a, a, a negative experience into a positive, you know, into something positive. And uh, I wanted to impact people's life, you know, saying, like, you, know, you can have, like, an handicap, but you can, you know, uh, perform... And you can find ways to perform with with, with an handicap. I didn't mind the light handicap. It's not like you know missing a limb or something, but uh, yeah. it still is uh, pretty challenging at times. You know, driving a car or playing other sports, and even in wrestling, and uh, with the depth perceptions and things like that, you have to be very careful. And and uh, even with time, you know you. Uh, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're doing the right, right move and uh, at the right time and and things like that. And uh, yeah, the the way that I shot the idea to Vince was a little bit different than what they came up with. Like I was yeah. not the Jean Pierre Lafitte name was not part of that. Right. Uh, so they wanted to play it more politically, whereas. Uh, Lafitte was a French pirate who came to Louisiana and was uh, cast away and after helping the U.S. and things like that. It was like if the U.S. citizens were blind to what my ancestors had done. So it was 
stretching something into something else that wasn't really what I really wanted. Like they didn't really want to put the emphasis emphasize on 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 the on the eye. I guess because they had seen me as the Quebecers before, so they wanted to play off you know another angle with it. And um, but you know. Uh, 50% of it or 70% of it was was my pitch so I, I went along yeah. with it and uh, I was promised uh, a lot of things like uh, you know uh, you'll be uh, you know advertised from being from Louisiana and uh, we we won't go to Montreal for three years, you know, we, we will create retention. So people wants to see you, they wants to see you, they wants, we're not showing, you know, we're not going with you, we're not going with you and eventually. So it was big plans for long term. And um, that, didn't, that didn't work out like that. And uh, I was like, uh, you know, really young too when I cut my break there. So uh, I made some some mistakes, uh, some errors, and man, uh, it, it kind of. Sh- I, I think I had had a great future. Uh, I felt like I was really in the good grace of uh, Vince and uh, Jim Ross and uh, JJ Dillon and everyone who was there. Briscoe's, uh, Jack, or but uh, even with the agent, you know, Tony Lanza, and the Chief, and everybody, I, I got along good with everybody, and everybody seems to be liking me good. Uh, and then the things went uh, totally sideways, <laughs> derailed. <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll get to that in a bit, but before we get to there, you're uh match with Brett in your house free. I mean, it just completely stole the show and uh, such a great match. And like, like I, I, I'm being biased because Brett Hart is my favorite wrestler of all time. I just think he's so good in the ring. And um, what was it like, I, I presume you've probably done some house shows with him, but what was it like working, you know, singles with him on the pay-per-view and like your experience, like working that match? Cause it was such a great match. Yeah, it was, he was such a professional, like he he would take it like very seriously. Like it, it was a in your house match, any pay per view match, or uh, you would take it as much uh, seriously as a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania. So 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 you know we could discuss a few spots on the phone, you know, prior to that date. Uh, he was available at home, which usually he was not. If you try to call. Back then, if you would try to call Brett at home, uh, he was never available. But when he gave you his phone number himself and said, okay, from this time to that time, that week, all the way up to the pay-per-view, anytime you have an idea, you can, you know, give me a call and we'll discuss. It. And then uh, we've had a few phone calls. And uh, when we came to the, I had work with him on the, Another in your house as a last match of the night as a dark, and yeah, we, we already did like very good, and that was like this was some uh, test match that I would say that before they put you on on a uh, rivalry or an angle with someone, you know, they want to make sure that uh, it's going to um, to gel. That's going to be the right uh, combination. So, uh, so, so I felt I felt that that first night that I worked rep in a single uh, in Nashville doing a pay per view in your house. I, I can't remember if it was a one, probably in your house one or two, and we did good. So and then after that, the um, we started where he was showing up a few times, and I was stealing glasses and things like that. So I had been undefeated for eight months in a row uh starting starting from the beginning of, of my run as a, as a pirate all the way to my feud with with brett so uh, 
Yeah, they had they had built me strong for 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 a bigger name, and uh, I remember traveling a few times with uh, Paul Triple H because uh, he was also undefeated for the same amount of time as uh, Hunter Hearst-Hensley. So uh, we we were like on the same type of uh, deal. So uh, we would travel together, and we would. You know, make some little bet who would go down first. <laughs> so, uh, and I think he won. And I think I was the first one who got pinned between the two yeah. of us. And that was before he was with Stephanie, anyways. <laughs> uh, and then after that, he, he got closer to to Sean and and Kevin. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was great with Brett. I mean, of. Uh, working with him in a tag match be- prior to that, you know, uh, so the experience was already there. So we were just adding, yep. you know, uh, as a single match. So it was just, it was just cool. It was just a good transition. Cool. And uh, towards the end of your first run WWE, uh, the click, um, probably besides Hogan, some of the biggest politicians in wrestling at the time, and. Uh, I've heard the stories from multiple accounts. Uh, I think uh, Shane Douglas told it best. Um, you're going over the match with Diesel saying, you know, we need this kind of finish so we can do the comeback. Which made complete sense because during that time, especially, you were trying to get as much of a crowd as you can. Uh, I think Diesel was kind of like going with it, but then Sean stuck his uh, nose in and decided to change things. So once that happened, obviously things changed so what was it like when you were trying to plan that match and like things change over time and eventually led to you leaving it was more of a uh to me a very um well, well first of all first i want to say that I, I i get along with all of them very well now like uh I, and i consider kevin a good friend of mine for every time that i see him on different signings or I've seen them different indie promotions before I signed a three-year deal with Ring of Honor. Uh, Now I don't see him as much, but uh, I get along good. I've almost always got along. I never had any problem with Razor that much, you know, and I've I've wrestled them a bunch of times too. And most of the problems I had was with Kevin and, and Sean. Uh, but it was just the fact that uh, I didn't even know that I was going to wrestle him in Montreal. I right. think it was around December something, um, 1995, but something like that. And out of nowhere, the TV taping is just, it just looked at me and said, in Montreal, it's me and you, it's big boob jack knife, one, two, three. And... I didn't understand why, you know, usually you know the, the day of the show and usually you find out that you're going to be wrestling in Montreal because you'll do some promos or you'll have your, your, uh, your booking sheets, you know, for the whole month. And then you'll, you'll look into, okay, Montreal, got Montreal coming in, but nothing was written yet. Nothing was in plan really. And the, he came up to me and, I, and he shot that line to me. And um, that that got me really uh, pissed off and mad. Yeah. And and just just for that, just for, just for being so, uh, I wouldn't say even annoying, but uh, just, just, pretentious you know like so uh on top of things and looking as part of the office which probably was really tight with vince but uh it was just an insult to me so i i promised myself that just because of that i wouldn't do it so when the night came and and Tony Garia came with the exact same words that i've heard like a few months before and then that's, that's how I just totally, uh, I totally blew a, uh, a fuse and, and I went crazy. And I decided that I was not going to do it. I was 
willing to go back home and not wrestle and just quit wrestling or that yeah. decision. That was my call. If it was going to go his way. And then I had phone calls from the office and saying, that's not, it's not, uh, Diesel's way. It's, it's, it's Vince's way. But in my mind, you know, it was like, the clicks no, way. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why, uh, and I, th I think, like like you said, I think maybe at first maybe Kevin was like okay to go along with it for a while. Yeah. And I think Sean went to him and said, "You can't let that happen." And then that's when things get really crazy, where you know, uh, Sean wanted to beat me up with the icy belt, and Kevin was you know standing up in front of me saying that so you're sure you want like intimidation you know like big time <laughs> like it's i it's like you feel like you, suddenly you got like i don't know like everybody against you it's pretty it's a weird feeling yeah. you need a lot of you need a lot of balls to stand up to something like that in a in a dressing room like that i mean that's the only good thing that I can say about it is just I, I just showed uh, how much uh, my courage I had I guess because uh, yeah you're going against everybody so I think I I, I I think even Taker might have been might have been thinking that's that's not right but but nobody knew the whole story no uh, that was the thing that I mean, yeah. as the years went by, the full story eventually came, like, not just, say, from click members, like Shane Douglas, Bam Bam, yourself. So, yeah. you know, with that piece in the story, you get a more coherent story. But eventually that did leave to your departure, and you made your way over to WCW. And I think while you was in WCW, or there or thereabouts, uh, speaking of Montreal, the Montreal screw job. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, the Montreal screw job. Yeah. Um, obviously, you said you got along with Brett and Owen and obviously fellow Canadians uh, happening in Montreal. What was your reaction when you heard about what happened? Surprised. Very surprised. Yeah. yeah I, it was hard to believe, but I had lived like something similar. That's right. But it, but it was not the same because, you know, uh, there's so many things that we don't know, the conversations between Brett and, and Vince and, uh, and all that. And, and it, was Vince firm enough to say, no, you need to drop it? Or is, was it Brett very firm saying, no, I'm not dropping it? And then Vince not having the choice to protect the business or... It's it's hard for me to take a side on this, but uh, but I think you know uh, knowing uh, I I don't think it was a big problem to like for me for instance like if I would have lost against Diesel nobody would remember that I mean it's. Uh, uh, there's nothing there. I mean, I, if I'm looking at it today, I should have done it. You know, it was a lot of my uh, ego that was stumped at, you know, uh, was stumped on my ego. We tested my ego. We, we made sure I was going to crack. And I did, which is not good, which uh, showed uh, how weak I was, basically. It showed that I was not strong mentally enough to handle tons of pressure like just losing in Montreal and just letting my ego die and saying, it's okay. It's going to be a better day. You know, it's, it's things going to get better. Like when triple H got jobbed out in 12 seconds, WrestleMania by the ultimate warrior. Right. Yeah. He shut his mouth and he did his, you know, shut his ego down and he just waited around he had the talent, so things came back. You know, I, that was a proof of being strong mentally. 
Um, and sometimes you have to be strong mentally. Things not always will go our way or my way or Red's way. So, um, and business-wise, I think it was the thing to do. And because uh, I never seen no one go, you know, go into another. I, I think he was supposed to drop it in the States. That was the understanding. But uh, I think Vince had someone like Alunder uh, Braze, you know, burning the, the strap, the WWE championship, the, the right. WWE belt in a garbage can. And we just wanted to make sure prevent something. But for Brett to drop it in Montreal or drop it in Kansas City, I don't think it would have made a difference. You know, it would have been the same thing. So it's it's up to him to you know when you're uh, <laughs> when you're alone with yourself like I am right now in my room you know it's a, it's a time to think about things like that and to reflect on some of your decisions but uh, I cannot answer it for himself uh, I think what he did he did what he thought was the best at the time that he did it and yeah as far as I'm, I'm now who knows one thing for sure this date will be there forever now. You know, he made history. So people will be talking about Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and Vince McMahon. Because yeah. it's been 20-some years, and it's like fresh like it was yesterday. Oh, yeah. We're, they're still talking about it, like, on a regular yeah. level, you know? Like, it's like, it's still up to date. So it's pretty crazy. And... Is it was it a work? Was it planned? Yeah. Was it for a comeback? Or was it? It's so crazy. It's so crazy. It and uh, yeah, it's it's, it's a crazy moment, and like that moment changed the landscape of wrestling like for years to come. So yeah, uh, so imagine... I'm almost glad that he did it like that because yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, he made something to talk about forever. Yeah, imagine if it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> So crazy, um, so, but yeah, and so the following years, you was like, you know, you was back in WWE for a, a stint, then back in WWE, back in WWE, uh, you had a stint in ECW, but then you worked on the Indies for a few years, and then you had a brief retirement in 2011. Um, so before we get to your return, was it a case that yeah, I'm finally done now in in, in 2011, time to take a break or? Was you confident that, that that was going to be you retired? Yeah, I, was, I didn't really retire, but I just felt like uh, I've had done like so many things. I've had been back. I was a commentator uh, in Montreal for a TNA, and I had been a commentator for three years, you know, and making, like I would say, awesome money, you know, for... Yeah. It was a great job, and, and uh, I could have had, because that lasted like, almost 14, 15 years before uh, they dropped down the whole thing with TNA. So um, it was a big TV station. I was getting paid by the TV station. I had like uh, so much opportunities over there. Uh, I felt like I was, uh, you know, they, they wanted me. They were happy with my job and things like that. To quit that, to go back and to work for Brian Dixon for that much money and to go back on traveling eight hours cramped yeah. up, you know, eight people, nine people in a van and building yeah. up a ring up and down, uh, doing some camps and, and, and then just doing the whole. So I've done that. I've been back to Puerto Rico. I've had a bunch of tryouts at WWE and to quit this job. I had to really believe in myself, you know, I had to really uh, know that there was something else for me better than that. Not that the job's not great, but I didn't want to be a wrestling commentator. That's not what no. I wanted to be. That's, that's not, that wasn't a choice of life. And uh, I, I wanted to be a world champion. I wanted to impact the wrestling business. I wanted to impact the world and uh I wanted to do it my way. Uh, well, my way, saying like with the wrestling world as an active wrestler, and um, 
and I quit. And uh, the, my boss, the, uh, the producer of the show and, and the whole TV station says, we, we can hold up, hold on to your job for, you know, three months, four months. You know, if you don't like it, you always something to fall back on. And I said, that's the problem. There's something to fall back on. I don't want that because if 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 I'm going somewhere knowing that if it doesn't work, I can fall back on something good. Well, if I fail, I'm going to come back at the same point. Now I knew if I was failing, I had to keep on going on until I would until I was going to succeed. So I said, uh, I'm just tired of someone else. And that's what they did. I just totally quit the job and uh, with nothing ahead of me. Uh, no security whatsoever. Just mm-hmm. my belief. Just my belief that I was going to make it one day. That's the only thing that I had going for me. Just my fate. Because fate for me, you know, but some people, fate is fate is like, um, fate, no. Fate is perseverance. Fate is keep on doing it until what you had wished for will happen. So that's fate to me. So that's just uh, being courageous and persevering. That's fate. That's the definition of fate for me. Knowing that one day it will happen. Yeah. And uh, you made your big return in uh, 2016 with a completely different look to uh, previous PCO. And just instant success, like he was winning championships all over the place and then signing exclusively for Ring of Honor, being part of Villain Enterprises, uh, becoming tag team champions of Brody King, next night becoming six-man tag team champions. Uh, like, this career resurgence is something we've never seen because uh, there was such a big gap between, you know, your previous, like, you know, in-ring uh, career to this one. And, yeah... Uh, <laughs> You just like completely reinvented yourself and such great success you've been having. And eventually, you know, you became Ring of Honor world champion. So how proud are you of you? You said you believed in fate. So how proud are yourself of, you know, set, oh, very, you know very five proud. years after retiring, doing all this, what you've been doing? Yeah, very proud of myself. But you know what? It's just something that now I can put in. Uh, put it there in a cookie jar. It's like, okay, I've, I've, I've done that. I've accomplished that. So I know how much pain that uh, I had to endure and how much uh, uh, tests I've went through, uh, much adversity. And uh, so it gives me more fuel now to, uh, to conquer, uh, you know, more or just, just, just to, to accomplish more. So uh, I'm not satisfied with what I've done yet, you know. Um, I guess I, I might die unsatisfied because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm never satisfied with everything that I that I have accomplished, you know. For me, uh, it's just part of a process where I'm always trying to get better and better and better. And I'm not just trying, not, not, not just as a wrestler, but... Uh, uh, overall, you know, so, uh, yeah. so there's, uh, I, I always envisioned that I would leave a, a, uh, a larger impact than what I've done so far in the business. Yes. I'm, I'm really happy if, 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 if that would be it, that would be it. You know, it would be, uh, certainly, you know, uh, something to be very proud of, but, um i i feel that there's something much bigger in the work but i i can't put really my finger on how it's going to happen but it's just uh it's just a strong strong feeling that uh that i've got because i've, I've been working since i became world champion i've been like doubling and tripling on my work i've been working three times as hard as i did yeah. When I became world champion and I was working my ass off. So to triple on that, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's, it's hard to explain. It's not something that you can, you know, 
you cannot see really physically, but it's it's, it's so much, it's so much little things, so much work, and I'm 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 talking about physically working too, as as much as mentally. So there's no way that I'm gonna triple down on the work, that I'm gonna be you know the hardest worker you know in the room, and that I cannot have an equal success to what I've been putting out as an efforts there. I mean, I don't want to get into what I'm doing because, you know, it's, it's kind of a, uh, I just, just don't want to put it out there right now, but eventually, you know, when I write a book, I'll write my days, what, you know, what they were like and, and, and people will maybe understand why, you know, what, 50 years old or 51 or 52 why was he able to do that because he was putting the work you know it's 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 not just i'm lucky you know it's uh it's just hard work and yeah and i don't i don't think any companies can understand because i realized over the years i remember at one time and that's it's just a philosophical like little little, little things that i'm going to tell you but when I was 24 or 25 and then I was running so many miles a day and I was pushing so much weight and I was passing so many hours in the ring day in and day out, I was thinking nobody from the WWE knows what I'm doing right now. So how can they judge? How can they judge me on my work if they don't know how much work I'm putting into it, you know? And I realized that Maybe the human machine is made of so much that there's like a computer in our brain or something that knows that and that yeah. makes things happen in accordance of how much you believe in yourself and how much work you put in yourself. So no one else needs to know it the way that the human body or consciousness or whatever it's called i don't know i'm not a doctor but that's my way to look at things so that's why i'm going all out because i know you know uh people don't have to know except you (laughs) but i i think it compensates by itself so uh, that's why i encourage everyone to to just don't worry about the outcome or how it looks like. Sometimes you may have a series of defeat or you can have a bad streak, but it's just, just keep pushing and, and keep seeing what you want to see. And I just feel like eventually it's going to happen. So that's why I'm telling you there is something bigger than what I've accomplished ahead of me. And then, can't wait to see it basically <laughs> the, the, the thing is <laughs> and uh, it's pretty much a year ago that you became world champion and uh, next week at final battle your former tag partner Brody King is challenging Rich to become heavyweight champion uh, this, uh, uh, this and I hope he will uh, and I wish I wish him that he will become a world champion because it would be well deserved you know because uh, once I was going through all this, I, f- I felt the support. Uh, if, if, if that one guy, that, that Brody King, I never felt any jealousy from him. He was always supportive during the whole time. And uh, uh, if I have to wrestle him, I will. And I have to fight him, I will. But I wish him all the best for, for his match. Awesome. And this will be going out just after final battle, but we are all looking forward to it. And especially now po- uh, post-COVID, post-lockdown, finally getting RRH back on our TV screen. So we are looking forward to it. Um, but before we sign off, uh, PCO, um, I always ask everyone who shared a locker room with Owen, what's your favorite Owen Hart rib you've seen in person or what he pulled on you? <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it wasn't an air, not on me. It was on Jock. <laughs> Never pulled the rib on me, but uh, <laughs> he pulled it on Jock. And it was a simple rib, uh, but Owen is known for so many great stories. Like uh, he, he was, he was, it was funny in so many different ways. Uh, but uh, we were we were waiting at the airport, and the flight 
delayed a little bit and it's taking time and then eventually everybody started getting up because we were boarding the flight and then uh, and then uh, Owen uh, took Shock's jacket and gave it to uh, someone else. Hey, sir, you forgot your jacket. And, uh, and Jock is the, the the only guy that you don't want to rib because, you know, it yeah. goes crazy because he had like a share with with dynamite and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he, uh everybody laughed because the the guy was leaving with Jacques' jacket, you know, in the plane that the wind like that wasn't his jacket, like he just took it. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, thank you. And then then Jacques went crazy on Owen, so that's a that's a simple rib like that. But that's that was Owen. Like he'd pull like all kinds of ribs, like small ones, big ones. Uh, always uh, trying to make everyone laugh so it's cool yeah and he'll always be remembered it was such a sad moment when we lost him and uh, he'll always be remembered and i don't think i've heard or spoken to a wrestler who's had one bad word to say about owen because he was so beloved he was close to the fans because he, he, he was like he wouldn't rent a car he would travel with the fans right. he would go to fans house because he wouldn't like spend money for a hotel or things like so that was cool for the fans because they got to hang out with him so he was hanging out with a lot of people and he he was like going to different houses and different cars and he's just uh he was close to the fans you know in a way that that was a privilege to them to, and it was good for him because he didn't have to spend the money but the other way if you look at it it's, 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 it was it was a win-win situation for everybody to say a lot of people knew him very personally, you know, a lot of fans knew him very personally because he was really close to the fans. He had a lot of friends. Cool. Well, Pizio, it's been a privilege being able to speak to you for this past hour. Uh, such great stories, listening to your story, your childhood, you know, making your way to WWE and eventually, you know, the reinvention, becoming world champion. <laughs> it's been a privilege to speak to you. But before we sign off, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on social media? Oh, yeah. Uh, I got my fan page on uh, PCO is Not Human on Facebook because my private page is, is very, like, it's, it's, it's jammed and I've got so many uh, requests of friends. Um, sometimes I scroll and maybe I, if, let's say, I've had an interview with you and then I find out you're there, I'll accept. But, like, I have, like, a, a two or three spots left. And what I do sometimes, I... I, if if people people aren't really active, uh, sometimes I delete them because they don't you know they don't interact. So it gives me the chance to add other people that I that I've known or that are active. But so my my fan page uh, PCO is not human on Instagram PCO is not human and on Twitter PCO is not human and uh, on YouTube you can follow uh, the the movie. Uh, PCO Justice that we uh, were showing like two minutes and 20 seconds every Monday night on Twitter. So uh, on YouTube, it's PCO Pierre Carwellet. You can subscribe and uh, put some comments. I will answer them. So that's basically that. That's what it is. Cool. Um, like I said, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we're all looking forward to final battle and uh, this big surprise you've got planned. So we're definitely going to yeah. be uh, out for it. <laughs> all right. Cool. Thank you very much. Right. Appreciate it.